Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. All right, Ian, so we had uh, kind of an interesting article that was written by Jason Lockhanfora, and I think we should just jump into talking about it. Uh, it essentially posits the idea that Vic Fangio is struggling to connect with his players and his coaches, and it's causing problems in the locker room uh, and, pl- and causing problems for the Denver Broncos. And I, I just think that it's one of those things that, I mean, we could get in, we should get into it, but it's one of those things where you look at it and I, to me personally, I don't see it. It does. I watch the Denver Broncos every week. We clearly talk about the Broncos all the time. It's something that is is sort of always in front of us. I, I'm not seeing it, or I'm not seeing it matter. Maybe that's a better way to say that. But it, it's just one of those like it's almost like a it's just sort of a noise off in the distance that you go, "What was that?" And then you kind of move on because it doesn't make any sense. For those who listened to the podcast that we did with Cecil Lammy from 104.3 FM, he called them Lassie Barks. And while there may be some truth to Jason Lockenfora's report, the crux of it is basically Vic Fangio is too mean. That's the crux of the story. There are some who think that Vic Fangio is too mean. And as I told you before we started recording, boo effing who? You just had a coach who treated you all like his buddies. How did that work out? So so if you're complaining, if you're one of these unnamed sources to the CBS Sports Insider for the National Football League, boo effing who? Cry me a river and get over it. And if you could see my hands right now, I'm playing my mini violin for all of those people who are crying that Vic Fangio is too mean. Really? 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 Yeah, no, he's he's too hard on everybody. He's he's too old school. It's it's one of those things where, you know, you have to ask what is it that you want? Do you just want somebody to be your friend? And then hopefully you'll play better because we clearly saw, like you said, that that didn't work. And is it is it possible? Is it possible that maybe what this franchise really needs is a culture change in a way that is going to hold players accountable and maybe take some things away from them that they feel like they deserve or that they're entitled to that maybe if they were a winning franchise, they would be entitled to. And so you got your feelings hurt because you know, Coach Fangio took away our music or Coach Fangio is is too hard on us. Or like you said before we recorded, Coach Fangio doesn't give us Tuesdays off, only Mondays. Did you earn a day off? When was the last time you earned a day off? Because what I see is, is a franchise with a losing record. I see a, a franchise filled with guys that have a lot of potential that can't win football games. And we've talked over the last few weeks about how we actually are very positive on the direction of this team. 
but don't don't cry to to Jason Lockhanfora or Adam Schefter or any of these other insiders or whoever it is that you want to talk to about how you're disappointed or disgruntled because head coach Vic Fangio doesn't, you know, pat you on the on the shoulder and tell you it's going to be okay, big guy. And here, why don't you listen to your favorite favorite music on your radios? Uh, no, he's going to he's going to be who he is and quite frankly, He's exactly, in my opinion, what this football team needs. So if you don't like it, bye. You know where the door is. You know, in the in the in the, in the great words of Powers Booth from Tombstone, Curly Bill. Bye. For those who think that he's too mean, I give you Exhibit A, and the only exhibit I will give anyone, and all that I needed, Garrett Bowles. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a perfect example of a guy who who maybe doesn't like to have his feelings hurt but needs to have them hurt. Sometimes you've got to be told the truth and the truth doesn't feel good and Garrett Bowles needs to hear the truth and so do a lot of other players. What's wrong with that? It's this sounds to me like a couple of a couple of guys who maybe really didn't mesh with the the coaching staff uh, or or maybe even a, it's a an assistant coach who just feels like they're not getting their due and so they're disgruntled and they're going to whine and complain but it's not it's it's nothing but white noise it's just a it's just a, a lot of it's a lot of nothing i mean i, I read the article uh, it talks about fangio's people skills not being great who cares uh it talks about the emmanuel sanders situation and how this is maybe part of the reason he wanted out he good okay that's fine i'm glad that emmanuel sanders is off in san francisco and finding some success, although he's maybe a little dinged up right now. And I think it's better for the Broncos because now we get to see what Cortland Sutton can do in that wide receiver one position. And and Tim Patrick looked great. Maybe Deshaun Hamilton will eventually step up. Who knows? Get rid of these guys that don't want to be here. Get rid of these guys that don't want to be you know, with the Denver Broncos because the head coach was mean. You're a grown man, and you're going to whine and complain about the head coach being mean to you? I don't think anybody wants that guy on their team. And I think Vic Fangio had the perfect response to when he was asked about this on his Monday news conference on if he feels the need to get the coaches together to make sure everyone is on the same page following a CBS report on Sunday. No. That's, that's right. That elic- that, I mean, that that's the response that that report deserved. And we've also heard, we've heard Derek Wolf talk about how the, the players have actually responded to Vic Fangio and especially on defense and Von Miller, how they've they've met up and gone to dinner. And Cecil, to go back to what he said, and it, it, anyone who has watched this defense and the team can see the buy-in. If, if there's disgruntled players that haven't been performing like it, because the defense has been one of the best in the NFL minus the secondary on Sunday against the Vikings where they presided to crap all over themselves in the second half. But the defense has been pretty good progressively getting better. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. So I, I just, as you said, if you're complaining about not being congratulated or being told you're doing a good job, if you're not being made to feel better, I don't want you on the Broncos because you you would have never played for Pat Bolin. 
Pat Bowen wouldn't go around congratulating you if you didn't earn it. And Vic Fangio is a Pat Bowen type coach who isn't just going to give out pleasantries for the sake of giving out pleasantries like the former head coach that the Broncos had the last two years. Yeah, it's 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 exactly right. The other thing the article talked about, and I thought this was an interesting point, uh, and I don't want to go too deep into Lock and Fora's article because again, I think it's a lot of it's just a it's just a lot of conjecture, and it's, it's clearly from people who are just disgruntled about the way they're being treated, and and it's it's a bunch of baby stuff. But there's mention of the fact that uh, there's this, and I'll I'll just read it. It says there's almost no discussion beyond football sources said, and that and that coupled with some staff and personnel issues as well as a lingering angst over an eventual sale of this franchise has created a difficult climate around the team. Let, let me just say that I don't believe that the Denver Broncos are eventually going to be sold. I don't understand where that comes from as, as uh, somebody who, uh, and I'm not certainly not an insider, but somebody who has paid attention pretty closely to the ownership situation. And we talk about it every now and then we don't go too in depth on it, but that to me doesn't seem like, that's not real. It just doesn't feel real, that statement. It just feels like a lot of, again, it's it's just something to write to write. And it, it gets guys like us worked up. And so now here we are spending a little bit of time at the beginning, beginning of our podcast talking about this article and, and maybe giving it a little more pub than we should. But it, it just sort of is one of those things where you almost want to talk about it so that you can you can talk about how ridiculous it is so that you can dismiss it. And I, th- I think that's kind of the point of what we're doing here is it's about dismissing something that really doesn't fit the narrative of what's going on with this football team right now. And that's evident by the fact that Lock and Forrest said that there's an eventual sale of the team. Joe Ellis is not going to sell the team unless he is forced to sell the team. He is not going to give up his golden ticket unless he has to give up his golden ticket. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's that. All right. So, we, we've we've got that figured out, right? We're kind of we're good on that. What, anything else we need to cover before we we get going here? I think it is actually his the very next question that Fangio was asked on Monday, and it's something that is a league wide issue, and it's on why he thinks it's difficult to get pass interference calls overturned, and. Before I read his response, I'm going to give what I think is the rationale behind that, and it's really simple. The NFL can't tell everyone or anyone what a catch is. So how are we going to have them try to figure out when to overturn pass interference calls when they can't even make the basic judgment on what is a catch? It is the simplest thing in football is to determine what is a catch. I mean, I I'm, I have that whole scene from Bull Durham where the manager wants to, where he's told by Kevin Costner's character to just scare him a little bit. So he gets them all into the shower and he throws all the bats in and he throws the gloves in and he says, this is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. In the parlance of Bull Durham, you wouldn't know what a catch is. It would, it would be it would be too difficult to figure out. Yeah, I, it's it's an interesting 
it's an interesting position that I think NFL officials find themselves in. And we, we've talked about this a little bit as well. And I think that the big issue here is that you have a, a group of officials who have decided that uh, while they have to review these calls, while it's it's on the books as a rule, they've made the decision not to overturn anything on the field when it comes to pass interference. That they're going to allow the officials to call the game when it comes to penalties. And I think that's the issue here. We're talking about calling a penalty. We're, we're, we're throwing a yellow flag or we're not throwing a yellow flag, and it's about making mistakes. And I think that the mistake that's being made by NFL officials, the officiating crews, the, the, the guys back in New York, whoever it is that's watching these, is they've decided that it's more about being right on the field and not proving anybody wrong than it is about actually getting the call correct. Uh, and and may, may, let me sort of make my point a little clearer here. This is uh, uh, some sort of strange defense of the officiating crews and trying to prove that they didn't, they don't get things wrong rather than just getting things right. And it hurts their credibility. It hurts the NFL's credibility as a, as a sport when you have the technology to make a play like this, to make a call like this and to fix these situations, these game changing calls. And that's pass interference. As far as penalties go, pass interference is the most impactful call on the field in my opinion because it can really change it changes field position it changes it changes the the tenor of a game the 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 mood in the stadium it has a huge impact on scoring drives so this really is designed to ensure that calls are made correctly because they're that important and doing it to the point where you've decided you're just not going to call it, you're just not going to, you're just not going to correct anything, no matter what, is actually saying we're not going to get it right because we're not worried about getting it right. We're worried about looking bad and calling each other wrong. And I, I just don't, I don't understand how how they can allow themselves to do that to themselves. It makes them look bad. It takes away their credibility. I would rather you say, oh, we missed it. Let's get it right than say, well, we missed it. But you know what? We're not going to correct it because I don't want to be called wrong. And that's really what's going on here. I think it's the arrogance of the National Football League and Al Riveron and the NFL officiating. It's just it's them snubbing their nose at people who want it to be corrected. And they're like, no, we're not going to correct it because that's basically the gist of what Vic Fangio says. And I'm going to read his answer. I think from the time that during the league meetings when the rule was adopted to where we are now, it's changed. I had a head coach tell me recently, another head coach in the league, that he had a touchdown scored against him and he thought there was offensive pass interference to get that touchdown. Naturally, he didn't challenge because all touchdowns are reviewed. They didn't review it at all. He complained about it during the week and the league agreed with him that it should have been offensive pass interference. He called the officiating department and asked, why didn't you overturn it? They said that they've been told not to overturn those. It's going to have to be a five-car pileup, I guess, for them to overturn something. It was offensive pass interference that the guy was telling me about. They thought it was, but still didn't overturn it. I really don't know where it's at. I challenged the one late in the game just because that was going to be our last drive. It was a critical situation, and I thought it was worth the chance. If that had been much earlier in the game, I wouldn't have. 
So I think it, it really is the arrogance of Al Riveron and the NFL officiating that they're not overturning these because they don't want to be forced to overturn them. They felt like they've been forced because of the NFL competition committee, which put this in place. So now they're basically taking their middle fingers and saying they're, they're like Mr. Bean when he's riding in the car <laughs> and he's that's Al Riveron and the NFL officiating because the arrogance that you're not going to overturn something because you don't want to, you don't want to be forced to is the epitome of why the NFL is such an arrogant bunch of assholes because they're not making the game better. No, they're, they're not it making it better. And I, I, I told you this at this point, the whole reason this was instituted was the NFC championship game. I don't think they overturn that non-call at this point. I really don't think they overturn it because they're that arrogant. They don't think there's anything wrong. And as I said, what do you expect from a league that can't make the most simple rule understandable? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And the other thing I will say about this is how frustrating it is with technology that we have in in 2019 it's 2019 we're out here living in 2019 and the nfl refuses to use technology to its advantage the way that other sports do i i i, I always go back to the tennis example and if you don't watch tennis that's okay i know it's not super popular but i think everybody knows that in tennis they have a system that measures how, where a ball hits on the court within like just like a few millimeters i'm talking like teeny tiny space a ball that's moving sometimes 120 to 140 miles an hour and they can tell where it hits on the court and determine whether or not the ball was in or out the use of technology is incredibly important in that and then the NFL is still using a chain gang to determine if a ball went 10 yards and to determine where where the placement should be while there's soccer, another, there's another aspect of it. You have two line judges who determine how the ball if the ball crosses the goal line. Right. Where you could use the same exact technology in tennis with a football. They already use it, it in cross, soccer. If they if it crosses the goal line, it buzzes. That's right. They use it in soccer. Soccer has there's and I don't know if it's a chip in the I don't know. I always say they put a little chip in the ball. I don't know if there's a chip in the ball. I don't know how they do it. I'm not a scientist, but I do know that soccer has a system where if the ball crosses the line into the goal, then a buzzer goes off and it's a goal. That's that's it. That's all you need. And so why are we relying on, you know, Tweedledee and Tweedledum over here to 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 eyeball it when all you need is a little buzzer to go off and say, "Yep, yeah, ball crossed the line." Quite, quite frankly, the NFL is falling behind in this officiating stuff. I'm not saying it's going to hurt its popularity to the point where people aren't going to watch anymore. The NFL is king when it comes to, to spectator sports in, in the United States. And it is branching out as much as it can into other places, which is fine. I, I don't care. It's just frustrating. It's frustrating to be a fan and to watch these things and, and to know what the actual call is and have it still be wrong because you have stubborn officials and uh, and a, a, a huge business conglomerate that refuses to to move into the 21st flipping century. And so we're still out here 
with you know chain gangs and and referees that don't want to have their calls overturned and look i'm all for automating as much as possible i'd love to see it in baseball get the you know get balls and strikes called by a computer by by a robot do it because then it just takes take the umpire out of that particular part of the game take the officials out of that idea of ball placement in the NFL and whether or not it's a touchdown or you could you could speed up the game, you could eliminate all kinds of problems. It would be a better sport. It would just be a better sport that way. But they won't do it because like you said, it's arrogance. They know they don't have to. Did we just talk about tennis, soccer and baseball? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're very uh eclectic, diverse uh, podcast that is all inclusive. Uh, we believe that uh, every sport has a right to be uh, mentioned at some point in time. And while we focus our efforts on the Denver Broncos, we draw from other places to get our ideas about what we think could and should and might pos- be possible in the world today. I felt felt good. Did it sound good? You, you you didn't plop it out there and expect oh, it to perform. No, I didn't even rehearse it. It just just sort of sort of flowed. I enjoyed it. All right. So should we talk about football? We can talk about the Sunday game in Bills Mafia. Oh, where Bills, Bills Mafia? Be be well aware of plastic phallic. Yes. If something's being thrown at you, something is flying at you from the stands, duck. It it, it might uh, it might be embarrassing if it hits you. That's that's for sure. I, you know, this is an interesting game coming up. The the Broncos. I think let's just go ahead and jump into the preview of the game here. The the Broncos struggle when they when they go to Buffalo. Right? Is that a fair assessment? That's a fair assessment. Okay, so I want to make sure that we're we have that out there first. So. I don't know if we have very high expectations for this team in regards to wins and losses here. I think at this point, it's like we talked about on the post-game recap. Just continue to show improvement. Continue to show what you've shown since the first week of the season. And I think that's that they've gotten progressively better. And I get it. They're still finding ways to lose. But you're going to go through growing pains. I think it was Benjamin Albright who tweeted the – the modes of a rebuild where it's lose big, lose small, win small, win big. And I think they're in that lose small phase. They're still trying to learn how to win games, how to to put a complete game together. And that's why my key to this game on Sunday against the Bills is do what you did in the first half against a better football team in the Vikings through the whole game. The whole 60 minutes, do what you did in the first half now as well in the second half because you know what they did. They know what they did well in the first half. You can do that against any team in the National Football League. How they played in that first half, you can do that and be as successful as they were against any team in the league. But now carry it over to the second half. Build on it. Yeah. Do what you did in the first half, in the second half. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, it actually sort of goes back to, and this is not my key to the game, but it does kind of go back to one of the things that we talked about earlier in the season, or at least that I talked about and I sort of kind of harped on for a little while, and it's about 
being good in the third quarter, right? It's about coming out at halftime uh, and after halftime being being ready to play a football game. And they sort of regressed uh, against the Vikings where they went back to some of that uh, being ill-prepared coming out of the tunnel in the second half. They weren't ready for that third quarter. And so that co- that really cost them because then they lost all the momentum there. But uh, my key to the game is, is about the playmakers. It's about finding ways to get guys like Cortland Sutton and Philip Lindsay the ball and allowing your best players to do what your best players are capable of doing. And that's uh, that's making big plays and scoring points. And they, they did a really good job of that in the first half. And then credit to the Vikings in the second half of that game, they did sort of find ways to kind of shut down a, a lot of what the Broncos were trying to do on offense. But also, uh, again, it does sort of go back to you know they're going to do that, so make some adjustments. Uh, but but get the ball in Cortland Sutton's hand. Let him let him do some things. Get the ball in Philip Lindsay's hands. Let let him do some things. Make sure your best players have the ball. That way they can they can be successful. They'll find their the most success in that way. I totally agree. And I I think in terms of players to watch, I on defense, I'm going to go with the secondary because I think they were the biggest reason the defense faltered on Sunday in the second half against the Vikings because the front seven did what we both thought that they would not be able to do. And that slowed out, slow down Dalvin cook. They, they not just slowed down, down Dalvin cook. They shut him yeah. down 26 yards rushing for a guy who some think could be the NFL MVP. That that's damn impressive. So the secondary has to show up on Sunday and they're going to go against a guy who has speed and can get over the top. So whoever is lined up on John Brown better have a rocket booster with him because he's got the speed to get beyond the guys in the secondary. So I I will be watching the secondary to see how it responds to that really bad performance in the second half against the Vikings. Yeah, I I like that. I'm actually going to go – I'm just going to go right up front to that front seven, and I'm going to be very specific about it. Shelby Harris had an incredible game against the Minnesota Vikings. Three sacks. He was all over the field. And it was kind of – I don't want to say it was the first time we talked about him in a long time, but it really was, right? That was the first game in a while where he'd had that kind of an impact. And I would really like to see that continue. So Shelby Harris is my player to watch, not because he had such a big game in in his – you know, in the matchup against the Vikings, but because he had a big game, and I'd like to see if he can carry that over to another uh, potential big game against an offense that, let's face it, Josh Allen and the Bills aren't the best offense in the NFL, and they can be uh, they can be exploited. And I'd like to see that front seven get push up front and force Josh Allen to kind of have to move around, have to make plays. And I think he's a key to that. So. Uh, I think Shelby Harris is a good one on defense to watch. Uh, offense, you got somebody? Brandon McMahon miss. <laughs> You've been practicing that? Actually, it just came to me. It's, I like but it. I, I, I mean, Andrew Mason had a tweet where he he gets the angst on special teams for Tom McMahon, the special teams coordinator, and Kobe Wadman, which was interesting or Colby Wadman, I can never say his name right. doesn't matter. He shouldn't be the punter anyway. Nope. What was interesting is Marquette King came <laughs> to his defense. I thought that was very interesting. 
anyway, I, the thing that's so irritating about Brandon McMahon miss is that he has he, he has consistent. I mean, he he's been over eighty percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it it's when he misses. Yeah, you know, the old man uses a phrase that uh, that I like, and I think other people use it as well. But I just sort of I'll attribute it to him. Uh, he's he's just good enough to he's he's just just good enough to disappoint you, right? Where he he's gonna make three out of four field goals, but that fourth field goal is really really important, and he missed it, and so. That, you know, those three field goals that he made prior to that were also important, right? They're all worth three points. But that fourth one was like at a really important moment in the game. Just good, just good enough to disappoint you. He used to say that about Jay Cutler all the time. He's he's just good enough to to really upset you because you know the talent's there. And then he's just going to throw that interception when they're in the red zone and they're driving to win the game. Well, same thing here with McManus. That's a, a really good one. I, I would I would like to see him improve. We like Brandon McManus. I I think he's probably a pretty good guy. I, I think he's a, a you know a good kicker, but you you got to be better in those situations. I, I definitely agree with that. And it's not going to get any easier, especially in Buffalo, because you get that win that that comes off Lake Erie, and it can be. It can be a it can be a problem for kickers. So depending on how the weather is, and it's the end of November in Buffalo, so it, it's not going to get any easier for him. But I I, I definitely want to see he needs to start making the kicks that he need that he should make. And if he makes that kick, it it may alter the the course of the game because now they're in the lead and. That's a different. It's a. It is. It has a whole different uh, setup. I'm actually going to go with uh, Brandon Allen on this one, and uh, for for two reasons. One, I think this might be the last time you get to watch him start a game for the Broncos, or at least I think it should be the last time you get to watch him start a game for the Broncos. Uh, and also, this is actually Brandon Allen's opportunity, right? This is his chance to make a statement about being. Uh, being a viable starter for the Broncos. Not that I want him to be. I don't want to get into a whole, uh, you know, late round pick, backup quarterback should be the starter kind of thing. But he he played pretty well. But then had that bad interception heading into uh, the the heading into halftime against the Vikings, where they really should have at, at minimum had three points out of that deal, and instead they walked away with an interception and no points, and that turned into a ten point swing because the Vikings got the ball and went and scored a touchdown. So a minimum 10-point swing. And he's he's brought a little bit of life back to this offense. He's infused something into it, and so it's fun to watch him play. So for as long as he's out there starting for the Broncos, I say sit back and enjoy it. You're going to get one more game. If things if things are, are done properly by the Broncos, you get one more game with Brandon Allen being your uh, starting quarterback. So sit back and watch him play and, and enjoy it for one more game, and then and then we can all move on to the Drew Locke era. And I gotta, I'm going to traverse back real quick and correct myself. Oh, good. When Brandon McManus missed that field goal, the Broncos were were leading twenty three to twenty. So if McManus makes that field goal, it gives them a six point lead. The Vikings, even if they go down and score a touchdown on their next possession, as they did, instead of the Broncos having to get a touchdown to win, a field, field goal, goal wins, and they would have had that field goal with how Brandon Allen and Rich Scangarello put that drive together at the end of the game. So they win 
that game, if everything unfolds as it did, and it's hard to say that if it does, if he makes that field goal, but if he makes that field goal, it gives them a better opportunity to win that game. That's why it's such a huge miss. Sure. The other thing about that is when you miss a field goal, the the opposing team gets the ball not where the ball was snapped from, but where you're kicking from. And that was a pretty deep field goal, if I recall. It was a it was a over forty yard field goal. I don't remember exactly how long it was. And so you're the field is now shortened, right? You're kicking from the thirty five or thirty six yard line, I think it was what it was. They don't have as as far to go on offense now. That's a, that's an advantage for the Vikings there as well. Rather than you know getting a touchback and starting from the twenty five, you're starting from ten yards closer. I, and maybe that's trivial, maybe it's menial, but it it does it does have some impact as well. So that's a, a really good point. I'm glad you went back to that. It's it's, it's a good thing to say. Um, and now and now we can and now I can go back to saying that I as I said on the post game recap, Brandon Allen is a backup quarterback. Yes. So the Broncos have their backup quarterback. Yes. And I, and I think unless he just comes out and and plays incredible, Drew Locke is going to play that next home game against the Chargers as as well. He should absolutely. Uh, all right, you got a, a a prediction for the game? I'm going to go sixteen thirteen Buffalo. Sixteen thirteen. That's pretty low scoring. Okay. I'm, I mean. I'm fine with that. I'm pretty. I'm pretty uh, in line with you on that. I'm going 21-13 Buffalo. I think, uh, you know, I, th- I I think they'll give up a few touchdowns. They might even give up a defensive touchdown, like a pick six. That's sort of where my head's at. Just because, again, Brandon Allen is a backup quarterback, and you you don't expect him to be perfect. And a pick six seems like it might be something that that Bills defense could accomplish. So, uh, yeah, I like that. 21-21-13 Buffalo. I don't like it, but that's that's what I'm going with. The one thing that if the Broncos do go on to lose, and I think it's more than likely that that's going to happen, it will all but guarantee that the Broncos will have their third straight losing season. Yeah, and uh, that doesn't feel good. But again, I think that we go back to that idea of even even though they're not winning games, the the arrow's pointing up, and and so it's all, I, I hate to say this, but it's almost like I'm not that that concerned about it anyway uh let's do this let's go ahead and take a, a quick break so that we can uh we can gather our senses a little bit and then we'll do a whip around the league all right we're back from those wonderful breaks those ads they were fun let's go ahead and get into our whip around the league we'll start with the afc west which is pretty simple right uh chiefs and chargers are on a buy and the oakland raiders go to new jersey to play the new york jets and what's fascinating about it is had the Chargers held on to upset the Chiefs on Monday Night Football in Mexico, the Raiders would have been in first place. And as I've said on this podcast, I would rather the Raiders win the AFC West than the Chiefs. Which is is saying a whole lot there considering how much I hate the yeah, Raiders. How much you hate the Raiders, absolutely. Yeah, no, I I think I'm kind of with you on that. It's It's like – would you would you like to be stabbed in your left eye or your right eye? It's it's kind of like either way you're not going to be happy, but or punched in the chest or, or punched in the chest. Yeah, yeah. There's no, nothing is gonna nothing is gonna be good. So which terrible situation do you want? 
Um, yeah, and I think the Raiders go in and win that game probably pretty easily. Don't let what the Jets did to the Redskins fool you. It was the Redskins. Which, they are a terrible, terrible, terrible football team. And so, an awful franchise. And an awful franchise. So it, you can think of how the Broncos are and then think of we both think that they're on the right path. And as Andrew Mason said in our other state of the franchise podcast that there's light at the end of the tunnel. We just both hope it's not a train. You could be a fan of the Redskins and you're seeing light, but you're about to be run over by a a steam train going about 150 miles an hour. Yeah. And it's, and it's on fire. So just to add a little insult to injury there, but uh, as far as the other games go throughout the league, uh, I think the week starts off with a pretty fun game. Colts at Texans. Uh, Jacoby Brissett should be back. Deshaun Watson's coming off his worst loss uh, in his NFL career. Uh, I heard somebody say, today I was listening to the radio, somebody said it was his worst loss uh, in his career, including college. That So, like, since he's been on TV playing football, this is that was the worst loss against the Ravens in 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 week 11 that he'd ever experienced I, i'm i'm pretty curious to see how he bounces back and if the colts can kind of keep pace with the texans on thursday night i think to put that loss on deshaun watson is a, a bit of a stretch well, i don't I just, think i don't think anybody was putting the loss on deshaun watson just that as a starting quarterback in the nfl he'd never lost by by more than single digits all of his losses had been less than uh 10 points uh, they'd been not like nine points or less. And so to get beat the way that they did, I know it's a full team loss. It was just sort of that sort of, you recognize that a quarterback that has had that much success finally sort of takes a beating. Can the team, can he bounce back from that? And that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I think what will be interesting to see is how Seattle travels to Philadelphia and the Eagles, I think they're on the verge of this being a must-win game for them because I think if you get two in the weeds from the Cowboys, and I think what will help the Eagles is the Cowboys are playing New England in New England. So that will give them a little bit of hope. And I think after this week, the the Eagles' schedule gets exponentially easier. So it'll all depend on – how they how the Seahawks travel, I think the Seahawks showed that they are a legitimate contender in the NFC with how they played on that Monday night game against the 49ers before their bye. So that's that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to. I think that Eagle the, the Cowboys Patriots game is what a lot of people thought could be a potential Super Bowl matchup. It still potentially could be. Sure. It's going to be fun to watch that 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 offense of the Cowboys with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott against that Bill Belichick defense. And then both of us are really looking forward to that Green Bay Packers at San Francisco 49ers game on Sunday night football. Yeah, you know, and a big question is going to be answered about the 49ers, I think, because uh, you know, the la- they were the last undefeated team in football, and then they haven't looked great, right? They lost to the Seahawks in an overtime game, uh, and then they they went down to Arizona pretty quickly and had to come back to win that game against Arizona in, in Week 11. And the Packers are are a very good football team, 
and have the potential to come in on a on a primetime game Sunday night. Uh, yes, it's in San Francisco or San wherever they play in a San Santa Clara or whatever like that. I don't know what it is. I don't really care. And uh, and and they they could potentially uh, take a game from the 49ers if the, if they are not if they're not better than they have been the last couple of weeks. And so that'll be a, an interesting one to watch. Are the 49ers for real or are they a pretender? You know what I'm saying? I hate to do that contender or pretender stuff, but if the 49ers lose this one, you start to really think maybe they aren't as good as we thought they were. And then the Monday night game, Ravens at Rams. I mean, if you if you don't enjoy watching uh, what Lamar Jackson is doing, then you don't like watching football. He's he's doing things that are just remarkable. But I I also think that it's I think it's taking to me it's really similar to Michael Vick. I think he he's a very similar player to what Michael Vick was like in the late '90s and early 2000s. And I think the fact that the Ravens have been able to adjust their offense to how he plays the game of football is a testament to John to John to John Harbaugh and that staff but also Ozzie Newsom who since he retired his last draft was the one where he he got Lamar Jackson that it is a testament to to how well he's been able to put uh, the Ravens together over the course of his tenure as as the used to be GM who's now retired. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lamar Jackson was his last first round pick. So uh, a lot of, a lot of credit to him. And uh, you know, it, it is interesting to sort of see how good a, a football team can be when they take a player that is t- as talented as Lamar Jackson. And rather than try and force him into a scenario or a situation that is uh, that he doesn't fit into to instead uh, sort of cater everything to him, and and I'm trying to remember the name of their offensive coordinator. I think it's it's Greg Roman. Is that uh, might might want to double check on that one. That 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 is his name. He, his name is Greg Roman. He and was he, he was the the uh, offensive coordinator in Buffalo when Tyrod Taylor had th- that incredible season, and uh, he was. they showed uh, a stat in the game last week where uh, Lamar Jackson's numbers through. Uh, uh, was it 10 games, I guess, because they'd had their bye, were almost identical to Tyrod Taylor's that year. And so what Greg Roman is doing and what he's capable of doing with quarterbacks like that uh, is is also impressive. I think it's one of those things where you kind of uh, – you can see the possibilities. You can see where the the NFL could be going uh, if if you get more uh, quarterbacks like a Lamar Jackson in there with, with the mobility and the arm uh, and, the, and the ability to read a defense. And so I, I just – I find them very much – they're very fun to watch. And it doesn't hurt that uh, I am a Lamar Jackson fantasy football owner. I have him as my starting quarterback. And I didn't even have to draft him. I picked him up after the draft. Maybe that just tells think, you how bad our, our our league is at drafting. I think what it does is it gives you hope when you see the success that Greg Roman and the Ravens have had with Lamar Jackson, that Rich Scangarello can do that with Drew Locke. And as we both said – after this Sunday against the Bills, it should be the last time that we see Brandon Allen as a starter this year. And they unlock the second-round quarterback and, and start the process of finding out what they have in him. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos! Broncos!